0: Hi, you're listening to Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. All things impacting global supply chains this week. This is the News Roundup. I'm Tony Hines. Nestle is buying a major stake in a Brazilian premium chocolate maker, Grupo. Both Brent crude and West Texas oil have risen in price over the last week or so. Japan's fragile economy is recovering from its weak position, but it's concerned that it'll be hit again by the downturn in China's economy. The Indian rupee hit a record-closing low on Thursday. These are just a few of the headlines coming your way this week, and with much more, so stay tuned. Well, do you like chocolate? Nestle is buying a major stake in a Brazilian premium chocolate maker, Grupo. You may know both. Grupo CRM is the name of the company. It's because... Nestle wants to get more into the luxury confectionery market. Grupo operates more than 1,000 chocolate boutiques in Brazil under the Copenhagen and Brazil cacao brands and has a growing online presence. Nestle is buying the steak from a private equity company, Advent International. There are no financial details published at the moment, but I thought I'd just give you the heads up on the chocolate supply chain and how that's concentrating. In the hands of fewer brands. It's expected that Nestle will pay around in the region of 602 million dollars for the company. A local newspaper in Brazil, Valor Economico, has said it's 4.5 billion reals, Which is actually 904 million US dollars. So different sums on the valuation of the company. We'll have to wait and see. Nestle, of course, produces all sorts. I had one of their products, a Kat, yesterday, which I... Thoroughly enjoyed. I love the Kat brand. They also make Aero, Smarties and lots of other things in the chocolate range. Nestle's confectionery sales have increased by 10.8% in the first six months of 2023. So it's uh, doing quite well in this market and has been for some time. And its underlying profits are somewhat higher, around about 14.5%. The acquisition, of course, gives it a strengthened position in Brazil and Latin America. Of course. Both Brent crude and West Texas oil have risen in price over the last week or so. Brent crude's up around 90 US dollars a barrel, and West Texas oil is about 87 dollars a barrel. It's said to be steadying, and actually, prices are falling back a little right now because they're expecting a fall in demand for oil during the winter period this year. The uncertain economic outlook in China has slowed down the expectations of tighter supplies as extended production cuts take hold from Saudi Arabia and Russia. It's quite a volatile market just at the moment in oil, but uh, it's steadying a little. Exports from China fell by 8.8% in August year on year, and the imports contracted 2 to 7.3%. But crude imports have surged by 30.9%, so that's a big intake of uh, crude oil going into China. It's unknown how China will perform over the next few months, but uh, it probably depends on that as to how oil actually does. There's a rise in the oil output from Iran and Venezuela, and that could balance the portion of uh, cost that's been added by Saudi Arabia and Russia. Ukraine has started exporting grain via Croatian seaports, and this is to get round the failure of the extension of the agreement to allow ships to sail from Black Sea ports. So they're having to transport the grain-by-road to Croatian ports. But at least the grain's managing to move out of Ukraine to where it's needed. Although not at the same volume, at least the grain is on the move, and that's good news. While we're still witnessing changing climatic conditions impacting all sorts of things. There were floods in Greece this week, particularly the Greek island of Skiathos, which is under flood water, and there are floods in other parts of the world too as a result of climate change. Then we get extreme heat, and that all puts at risk transportation options, storage options, and of course supply chains suffering from these Extreme weather conditions, unexpected conditions. The less unexpected now, of course, because people are aware that uncertainty is ever present. <music> Japan's fragile economy is recovering from its weak position, but it's concerned that it'll be hit again by the downturn in China's economy. Many Japanese policymakers expect China to avert the difficult position that they currently find themselves in and to stop the rot. And this is in part thanks to the measures taken by Beijing. For Japan, of course, the stakes are high. China is Japan's largest trading partner. It accounts for 20% of its exports and has replaced the United States in 2020 as the largest trading partner. Exports to China fell 8.6% in the first half of this year, and this is mainly due to the fall in demand for cars, steel, electronics. China's downturn could knock between 1% and 2% of Japan's annual growth rate. And that fuels fears that there might be a general slowdown across Asia's two biggest economies. They account for the fifth of global gross domestic product. So that's 20% of gross domestic product comes from China and Japan. And China has begun to lose its shine as a production hub for Japanese firms many want to reduce their exposure to China. Komatsu is the world's number two construction machinery maker and they've shifted operations from China. Other companies have also followed that route. Japan's core inflation currently stands at 3.1%. That's the July figure. and It's been increasing slowly. It's gone beyond the Bank of Japan's 2% target. So it's expected that Japan's growth will slow in the current quarter and they're hoping to expand in the April-June period next year. But of course they could be hit by higher wages, and inflation could take an even bigger bite out of the economy. The Indian rupee hit a record closing low on Thursday, and that's despite intervention from the central bank. Increased US Treasury yields and weaknesses in other Asian currencies are impacting the Indian currency the rupee ended at 83.21 against the US dollar, and that's compared with 83.13 in the previous session. It's not far from the record low back in October last year when it hit 83.29. The Reserve Bank of India is likely to sell dollars near the 83.2 level to steady the foreign exchange position. Two LNG facilities in Australia planned to strike, but it's been delayed as talks between Chevron and unions continue. They were due to start from Thursday in the dispute over pay. It will now start on Friday at 0, 0600 hours Perth time. That's 11 o'clock GMT time on Thursday. And it's expected that these stoppages could push up the price of natural gas in the markets. Gorgon and Wheatstone plants in Western Australia account for more than 5% of global LNG capacity. It's not expected to hit prices immediately, but if it continued, it obviously could do because it would reduce supply. (music) Electric vehicle production officially started at the Ellesmere Port plant of Stellantis. That's the old GM plant, the old Vauxhall plant. It's a £100 million investment by Stellantis and it secured the future of the former Vauxhall car manufacturing site in Ellesmere Port. Electric vans such as the Vauxhall Combo Electric, the Opel Combo Electric, Citroën, e-Barlingo and the Fiat doblo will be made at the site. The plant's future had been in doubt due to post-Brexit trading arrangements, but now seems to be secured. They had to switch to EVs because sale of new petrol and diesel cars and vans is to be banned in the UK from 2030. Now the Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, said that interest rates are close to their peak but they might still have to rise further. He told MPs that they are much closer to the top of the cycle of rate rises. The bank has raised rates 14 times in a row, trying to slow down the inflation rate. It's expected to raise borrowing costs again later in the month, taking the Bank of England rate to 5.5%. Raising the rate makes borrowing more expensive and of course it takes money out of the economy so people have less to spend, so demand falls, that's the plan. And that means that prices actually stabilise or fall. The bank rate is currently at its highest level for 15 years. Inflation fell to 6.8% in July, year on year, down from 7.9% in June. But it's much higher than the government target of 2%. It's a kind of meaningless target, 2% really, because everybody knows it's not really very achievable at present. Now I keep trying to think of any good outcomes that have occurred as a result of Brexit, and actually I struggle. I can't think of any really. It's a struggle to think of any good outcomes from that referendum or leaving the European Union caused a lot of divisiveness and it caused an awful lot of friction in supply chains and additional costs and bureaucracy. And that's a fact. That's what it has done. Now ministers this week have delayed further the imposition of post-Brexit checks and charges on food imported from the European Union. This is the fifth delay in a row to these import arrangements for farm and food imports that come from Europe. And this is all because of food price inflation. Prices would be pushed up even further if they had to do these checks. So all that bureaucracy and friction in supply chains would cause further problems. They say they're now intending to introduce the checks at the end of April 2024. Of course, I'm guessing that will be post the general election. I don't think any of the politicians would want to introduce it right now because it would raise all kinds of issues and arguments and they'd probably not get voted in. So they want to uh, push it back further. When those checks are introduced, of course, prices will once again be pushed up. Food import inflation is becoming a common user charge and it will happen on each consignment entering through Dover or the Eurotunnel as it's checked in a new large facility in Sevington, Kent. The charge could be as high as £43. Now this is a small problem for major importers, but for small importers, it could be prohibitive. It could stop them doing trade in Europe. And of course, they'll have to get vets in to sign off any livestock. And uh, that's another problem, another issue. So I think if there's one thing I'd like to see eliminated is any checks and any costs as a result of trade with our largest trading partner in Europe. It would make good sense to renegotiate that part of the arrangement to ensure that there could be free movement of goods what a classic era that was really cooperation's always better of course than competition and friction while we're on the matter of brexit one of the things one of the fallouts from the brexit vote was that research establishments universities and research institutes in the united kingdom fell out of the horizon program and the collaborative research that was undertaken with European institutions. Now this week, that's back on the table, and it's been agreed that uh, the UK will take part once more, and it will open up opportunities once again. But these were things that we had, that we just threw away. Apparently it's able to join the Horizon programme because of the settlement of the Northern Ireland Protocol Now here's another thought about climate change. In the past week or so. In Greek regions, there's been about thirty one and a half inches of rainfall, and that's more than a year's worth of rain, and it's played havoc with the country's economy and of course people's lives. It's forced many people to abandon homes and actually to climb out onto the roofs of those homes just to survive. And so it's a serious issue. And once again, it's a demonstration of how vulnerable and volatile existence is as a result of climate change. This is just the latest in a series of strange phenomena that's hit countries where this type of thing doesn't usually happen. We've seen water levels falling in the Panama Canal. We've seen water levels rising in places like Greece. And in Spain, too, there have been problems with climate in recent times, so in and in different parts of Europe. If ever a nudge was needed to change behaviour, these episodes certainly would do that. In Greece this rainfall has happened across Palamas, Koditsa, Volos, Potastika, and Skiathos. All have been affected in some way by this extra rainfall. And it's out of the normal pattern. This time of the year is usually Extremely warm in those areas with little rainfall. Concrete has become the subject of much debate in the UK this week as reinforced, autoclaved, aerated concrete is crumbling in many public buildings. They include schools, hospitals and other public buildings. Over the summer, a school ceiling collapsed. It had already been flagged as a critical issue and something to deal with. But it's now become seriously critical. If you look at this reinforced autoclave, aerated concrete, the problem is it's porous and water gets in and it's reinforced by steel inside, which can rust over time. And when it rusts, of course, it weakens the structure. And so not simply will the concrete turn to dust, but the steel bars or the, the girders holding up the building or the pieces of metal inside the uh, building, the structural parts of the building, can also become seriously damaged and that's where the problem occurs. This RAAC concrete is lightweight material and it was used mostly for flat roofs but also for floors and walls between the 1950s and the 1990s and it's now a safety risk because it can crumble over time due to moisture corrosion, fire or impact. Buildings that have this, rack, concrete, are at risk of collapse if the material fails. It has steel inside for strengthening, but it's also vulnerable to corrosion if water gets in. That's even though the steel is encased by a protective layer, often a mix of latex and cement, and sometimes acrylic powder, to prevent corrosion. But it's not foolproof, and there's the risk. It can erode, and that's when the buildings fall down. It's resulted, of course, in many school closures in the UK in the past week. It's going to be a real headache to sort this one out. Now, there are a couple of pieces of news that caught my eye this week in the tech industry. Google is going to require political adverts on its platforms, let people know when images and audio have been created by artificial intelligence. These rules are a response to the growing use of the tools that produce synthetic content, according to Google. And the change is about to happen in November. It's about a year ahead of the next US presidential election because they're expecting lots more of these AI advertisements to be developed. Google's existing policies already stop people from manipulating digital media to deceive or mislead people about politics, social issues or matters of public concern. Another piece of news in the UK is that the government has denied its changing plans to force messaging apps to access users' private messages if requested by the regulator, Ofcom. There's been a standoff for some time between the UK government and tech firms over a clause in the online safety bill that's going through Parliament presently, and it's related to encrypting messages. These messages can only be seen currently by the sender and the recipient. But the bill states that if there's concern about things like child abuse and criminal activity, they want to have access to it. Platforms such as WhatsApp, Signal and iMessage say they can't access or view anybody's message without destroying the existing privacy protections. And thereby is the major issue. They're worried about the security by opening this door to allow sight of the content, if they have to release it to governments, they will actually weaken the security of the technology. This online safety bill is due to become law in the UK in the autumn, and it's just about to clear its final stage in the House of Lords before it returns to the House of Commons. And TikTok this week opened a Dublin data centre, and that's to stop the accusation that China and the Chinese state surveillance system can access personal data of users on the platform. TikTok is owned by ByteDance, which is a Chinese tech company, but they say they've never given the data to Beijing. But there are many critics who say that the Chinese state could request it at any time. So they're hoping that opening this data centre in Europe will alleviate some of the pressure and criticism that they face. It's also running a... Similar project in Texas to try and convince US lawmakers that the system is safe. So we'll have to see how that plays out. When it comes to supply chains, generally, of course, the encryption of data is important, and the use of blockchain technology is also an added security feature when there are financial transactions taking place or sensitive data being transferred between supply chain partners. So these issues could become more prominent as more and more regulatory control is applied by governments to data and the way in which it's used by big tech companies. Lotus, the UK sports car maker, has said it's going to make fully electric sports cars it's planning to become a mass manufacturer selling 150,000 of these sports cars a year by 2028. The car is called the Emiya, and it will start production in China in 2024. The Geely Group, which owns Lotus jointly with Malaysia Atika Automotive, is going to manufacture those cars in China. Geely has also got plans to make black taxis for the London Electric Vehicle Company which it hopes to establish as an electric brand. There was a Royal Society report this week that warned that the UK is seriously at risk unless it decides to develop long-term storage capacity for a network of hydrogen-filled salt caves so that they can store energy cheaply to avoid future power cuts. Demand for electricity is likely to double by 2050 in the UK, and they need up to 100 terawatt-hours of capacity. 47% of the energy produced in the UK in August came from gas. That's an increase on previous months. Renewable energies were much lower. Less than 47% of the UK's electricity last month originated from zero carbon sources, according to the National Grid. Renewable energy had generated 88% of the power on the 19th of August. But gas is the largest source of fuel at 35.1%, while wind power was the second largest at 23.5%. And there's also a push to try and allow more onshore wind turbines to be erected in the coming years. And just as we close this week, The G20 meeting in New Delhi is getting underway. And so I'm sure we'll have more to say about this next week. But that meeting in New Delhi will not have Xi Jinping from China, nor will it have Vladimir Putin from Russia. Both have stayed away. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Tony Hines, I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage.